You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. It's one of these like well-known secrets, if you will. If you talk to anybody in the business that researches malware, we've all seen bots that you know communicate back to their command and control using encryption. That's Chester Wisniewski. He's a principal research scientist at Sophos Labs. The research we're discussing today is titled Nearly a Quarter of Malware Now Communicates Using TLS. We've seen stolen certificates, we've seen, you know, malware that's signed with certificates, we've seen all this stuff, but Nobody had really quantified it. And so we thought, well, we all anecdotally know it's a problem, but how big of a problem is it? And, you know, maybe we should take a look with, uh, you know, all the data we have in our labs. Well, the research that you published here starts off with a really nice overview of some of the basics here. I'd love to go through that together because I know there are a lot of people who might be a little fuzzy on some of this stuff. Can you take us through some of the backstory here when it comes to TLS and uh, sort of the foundational elements of that? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, of course, TLS, uh, we're, we're using the correct modern terminology, but I think a lot of people still think of TLS as being the good old SSL that uh, represented their padlock on uh, Netscape Navigator back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Right. So the current terminology is TLS. SSL is now discontinued. And, uh, you know, it's public-private key cryptography that's used to protect most of what we do via email and the web these days on the internet. Um, actually, I think that might be an interesting side project to, to look at how much of the 
how much email is currently being transmitted using TLS uh, for the you know for the good stuff to be protected. But I think I think Google may have done some research on that. But uh, mm. you know the the idea here is uh, of course to provide uh, encryption while in transit, right? So this is different than the kind of encryption you might use to protect a file on disk or protect the uh, SSD in your laptop in case it gets stolen. Uh, this encryption is just while things are being transmitted from typically a web server to a client. And uh, we're just seeing that the criminals are starting to adopt this for their own transport to protect their communications. And I suppose there, there are two sides to this story. Uh, the good part is that this data is encrypted, but that can make things harder to examine as well. Yeah, ironically, if your information is being stolen by criminals, at least only one criminal will be able to see the information that they're stealing from you. Uh, unlike if they do it unencrypted, you're on a you know Wi-Fi at the Starbucks or something. But uh, obviously, uh, the challenge really for enterprises uh, or even home users, for that matter, is you need to build a man in the middle of that traffic in order to inspect it to find out whether it's uh, malicious or not. And I think most people in their minds connect privacy and security as being compatible or together. And this is one of those cases where they're actually incompatible, right? I have to actually break into that secure connection to look at the content to know whether it's safe for you to consume that content yet. By doing so, in, in a way, I'm affecting your privacy. And, and at the enterprise level, there are tools available to do just that. Absolutely. Most modern firewalls have the ability to, you know, man in the middle that traffic. In essence, they decrypt the uh, traffic before it goes out to the criminals, take a look at what's inside of it. And if it's OK, let it pass with a new encrypted connection to the criminal or to whatever. Obviously, hopefully not the criminals. Maybe it's you uh, going to log into your Twitter or your Facebook or, or your bank. But I think one of the adoption challenges for enterprises has been to do that because you're going to get into this protected connection. You have to deploy certificates. Uh, you have to deploy a private certificate authority certificate to all of the computers that are behind that firewall. And doing that in a large environment is quite a cumbersome activity. And the availability of, of those certificates, I mean, that's not a, a difficult thing to do these days. Yeah, you, you actually make a certificate on your own. You don't need to uh, actually purchase one. In fact, you can't purchase one. The the companies like VeriSign are not allowed to issue one that everybody in the world would trust. So you actually make an untrusted one of your own, and then you tell all your computers to trust it. And it's telling all the computers to trust it that's the challenging part. Hmm. Now, one of the things that you track here in your publication is this shift that you've seen with more functions from the malware being orchestrated on the command and control server side. Can you give us some insights there? Yeah, the initial infection is often called a, you know, a downloader, or even uh, you can think of it as maybe a little bit of a stub, meaning the malware that comes down to your computer doesn't even know what it's going to do until the criminals kind of know who's been infected, if you will. So the mm -hmm. idea is they might want to turn you into a DDoS bot. They might want to turn you into, they might want to ransom you. Maybe they want to use you to send some spam. They're not really sure until they determine who you are. Now, we don't really know why uh, necessarily criminals decide to use one malware one place or one malware in another. But I, I did some research uh, that I presented at RSA conference a couple years back that talked about this. And, you know, we had found that things like maybe you've got a banking Trojan that's targeting a German bank. Well, you probably don't want to install that on machines in Singapore. You probably only want to install mm. it on computers in Germany. So that's in essence what's happening is like you get infected with a little piece of code that just calls home and goes, what do I do? And then the malware controller decides, okay, I, I want you to load up this uh, banking Trojan. Or I want you to load up this ransom code. And, and so is the notion here that the less traffic that's being sent back and forth, the more under the radar these actors can stay? 
Well, the less traffic that's out there, that certainly is the case. In this case, I don't think they're doing it to, for stealth reasons. I think they're doing it to maximize their profit. You know, the malware ecosystem has broken down into a lot of specialization over the last 15 years. And because of that specialization, there's people that specialize just in infecting people's computers initially and then seem to sell them on to other criminals to do criminal activity uh, that, that's more specialized and focused like bank, you know, banking malware and, and ransomware as examples. And many of your listeners may have heard of uh, Emetet, which has probably been the biggest ma- email malware threat we've seen in the last couple of years. And Emetet is one of those. You know, Once you get infected with Emetet, it might then install TrickBot or it might install Drydex. It's going to install something based on some other criminal paying them uh, for your head. And they may pay them based on your geographic location. They may pay them based on Maybe you're on a Mac instead of a PC and they need to deploy different malware. Those types of things happen in these attacks so that the criminals can sort of maximize the profit per victim. Mm. Well, the research that you've published here, uh, you go through uh, some of the recent malware campaigns and, and sort of break down and track uh, who's using TLS here. Uh, share with us what you found. We took a handful of families uh, that we thought were representative because it's uh, obviously with the quantity of malware we deal with in the lab, uh, it's impossible for us to you know, go through every sample and get an exact number. So we thought we would take a couple of these sample families and go through them and analyze them. So we took ones that are known info stealers and just other ones that are just common Trojans that we see. So we looked at Iced ID, we looked at Drydex, and we looked at TrickBot. And those are three you know, very common malware families that we're, we're seeing in the wild right now. And then we analyzed six months worth of their samples in our data set to see how frequently they were using TLS. Well, let's go through them one at a time together. Why don't we start with TrickBot? Right. So TrickBot, um, you know, most commonly right now, I think the way people are, are seeing it pop up on their computers is when it deploys a secondary payload again, like we were just talking about. So TrickBot mm-hmm. itself is an information stealer. And that, you know, is not necessarily limited to what it can steal. I mean, it can steal information from your browser or, you know, maybe looking to steal information for your browser that's related to banking. One of its other characteristics that we've seen is it also can deploy ransomware for other crooks. So it's sort of like taking two bites of the apple when it gets you as a victim. And so obviously what we were curious about is, uh, you know, does it use encryption? And of course, uh, it does occasionally use encryption. And what's kind of interesting about it, the criminals are quite smart. Rather than having to implement their own encryption, let's say, they actually use the built-in crypto API inside of Windows to do their encryption. So mm. I guess that started to ensure that they don't screw up the encryption. <laughs> so they're relying on, on someone else's expertise of, uh, of cryptography there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, like I said, they're kind of part of this malware supply chain. With TrickBot, we often see the, the victim initially gets hit with Emetet, which is one of these ones that comes in via email that says, you know, you have an invoice or DHL has a package waiting or, you know, these types of messages. And then they, uh, TrickBot is probably paying the Emetet group to install their malware. And then after TrickBot's uh, on there, occasionally we'll see TrickBot then install some ransomware as well. Hmm. Well, let's take a look at Iced ID. What did you see here? Yeah, so the the Iced ID one, um, you know, they also, uh, n- none of them uh, always use TLS, but in this case, they uh, did use TLS. It was kind of interesting to us that uh, they were using the RC4 cipher. So RC4 is a very old cipher, and it's not terribly difficult uh, to break depending on how it's implemented. And that was uh, interesting to see. And it does have the ability to send stuff unencrypted. Some of the, you know, a lot of these seem to be able to do both encrypted and unencrypted. 
information transmission. And that's not, you know, it's not clear what the purpose of that is in case maybe they're in some environments where they can't make an encrypted connection back, or it might just be a fallback mechanism. You know, we talked about certificates a minute ago. You know, there's been many a famous website to forget to renew a certificate. I think even I want to say Microsoft had an incident a couple months ago where they forgot to renew a certificate. So it's right. possible the criminals are like, well, maybe we what if we forget to renew our certificate for, you know, we don't want to stop getting stolen data. So, you know, maybe it's a fallback <laughs> mechanism. Uh, I'm not really sure why if you bother to yeah. go through the trouble of implementing uh, cryptographic APIs, why you would have unencrypted capability. But a lot of them seem to do uh, have both and, and only occasionally use the encryption. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And then the last one that you analyze here is, uh, I suppose, an oldie but a goodie, and that's Drydex. Yeah, Drydex is another one that uh, these days most often gets onto your computer through the Emitet botnet. Uh, it is old, as you say. I think, you know, we first saw Drydex back in, in 2011, and so uh, it's gotten around a bit. And And that's another reason I think we see some of this variability where we go, hey, it looks like Drydex uses TLS, but we also have Drydex samples that don't use TLS. And like ID, it's also using the old RC4 encryption. The, you know, the variability in that, I think, is partly related to how old some of these malware families are, right? There's different people that have copied it and reused it. And, the you know, maybe some of the old ones don't have this secure capability, while newer copies of, uh, of the malware do have the secure capability. And so that's why we only see, you know, um, a portion of the traffic using uh, encryption. What are you tracking in terms of trending here? Are we seeing more and more of uh, the use of TLS when it comes to these folks? Well, being that this is one of the few reports that have been out there, and it's the first report we've published from samples at Sophos Labs, which means we have nothing to compare it to. It's all anecdotal. Mm. Certainly, anecdotally, it seems like we're seeing increasing use especially amongst things that are stealing information. We know that a lot of companies are very carefully looking at data that's exfiltrated through their firewalls to try to remain compliant with regulations like GDPR. And now, of course, in the USA, we have CCPA. So that means companies have a better chance of noticing those credit cards being stolen or those passwords being stolen or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's possible the criminals are using this for information stealers sort of as the vanguard of the whole thing. And in our research, we saw that 44% of information stealers are using encryption. And that is, you know, a higher percentage than we see amongst the malware community as a whole, which is about 23%. So it's almost twice as likely that an information stealer is going to use encryption than a, than a regular good old fashioned bot. So that, that's probably indicative of the criminals trying to bypass corporate policies. So what sort of recommendations do you have for people out there to contend with this stuff? Well, I think, you know, for everyday users at home, there's uh, little that can be done other than, you know, to run good quality uh, endpoint protection on their on their computers that hopefully keeps track of a lot of these command and control servers uh, and can, uh, you know, block block access to them. I mean, some of them do some TLS interception as well. So uh, consumers would have to kind of uh, survey the market a bit for that. But on the enterprise side, I think it's clear that, we need to be inspecting uh, encrypted traffic traversing our firewalls. And if you haven't taken on that project yet, you need to take it on. You know, there's different products out there that work differently depending on what brand of uh, firewall or next generation UTM or firewall that you have on your network. But most of them have this capability. And if you're using one that doesn't, it's probably time to shop around because this is going to become increasingly important. That's Chester Wisniewski from Sophos Labs. 
The research is titled Nearly a Quarter of Malware Now Communicates Using TLS. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.